Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 11 of the Cincy Postcast. We've got a packed show for you. Three parts. Part one, part three, they're Toronto-themed. Part one, we talk about the first Toronto FC match. FC Cincinnati's win. Uh, Obi's debut and uh, a little uh, allocation order trickery there. In part two, we have Josh Hakala of the Open Cup, uh, or the Cup.us. My goodness. Uh, but it feels like like he's of the Open Cup. Uh, the man has started, founded, uh, essentially the definitive source on all things Open Cup. I'll talk about Cincinnati's history in the Open Cup. It goes back to the 60s, maybe even a little bit before that. And then in part three, we are talking about, yes, that FC Cincinnati win over Toronto again. <laughs> they just keep on doing it. So uh, a couple of other guests pop in on part three. So stay tuned for that and uh, enjoy. Oh, and with me to discuss all of this are two gentlemen who after I mocked us uh, last week, published articles in the last week. Way to go, boys. Uh, we've got uh, Grayson Chalmers. Grayson, hey, thanks for writing something that didn't get uh, local journalists up in my DMs, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought, you know, if, if anybody, it would be uh, defenders of the uh, Mackay Pfeiffer feature O, uh, <laughs> which I was not very kind to. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there could have been some hot movie takes out there. Um. I mean, I always found Mackay Pfeiffer's better work to be Eight Mile, but I'm a simpleton like that. So, <laughs> gets a shout out in the song, huh? Ain't no movie. And then, ain't no Mackay Pfeiffer. <laughs> but it is a movie, and he's in it. <laughs> it's very so meta. I don't know. Saying, God, that's meta. He's man. saying that without. All the things he'd done, there'd be no movie. There'd be no Mackay Pfeiffer. It's, That's like a deep right community there. episode. <laughs> it's almost like Rabbit is dissing Eminem. I, I, I kind of like that interpretation of it. And then, of course, the Chief himself. Chief, the Friday Fun Blast came back. How are we feeling, man? Feeling good. Um, I'm on a work trip, so I'm recording from a hotel room right now. That's commitment to the podcast lifestyle right here. Oh. So... Hey, better internet than I have at home, though. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to say where I'm staying, but it does involve a holiday in an inn. So, <laughs> big Chingy fan planning this conference. <laughs> not quadruple tree inn from uh, no. Mitch Hedberg. Like, oh, I can't say, but it does have two trees involved. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, man. This past weekend, uh, we got to see FC Cincinnati do something we haven't seen in a long, long time, which is go on the road in MLS against a team above us in the table and put in work, look good, get a win, like pretty decisive victory. I'm, I'm sure some of the underlying numbers would suggest it was uh, a tighter affair or even a sloppy game from FCC, but... It never really felt in doubt, did it? Did did anybody else no. feel like this was no. this was something else? No, they 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 played well. They controlled the game for long stretches, and I forget who said it, but I saw it online. The take where it was just like this for the first time in a long time just felt like a normal uh, MLS game. 
where FC yeah. Cincinnati went on the road. They looked like a road team where they conceded a bit more possession, but they controlled the game. They played well. They took advantage of their opportunities, scored off a set piece. How fucking long has it been since we've done that? And <laughs> won the game. They just won. There wasn't a fluky anything about it. They just won. they made more plays. They made their chances count, and they won the game. It's awesome. Yeah, Grayson, what was your what was your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, it, it was a win. They Lucho had a really nice goal. That that angle, yeah. I was really impressed to see that go in. Um, but I want to do. I want to address just one piece that that the chief said, and the the chief I think is on the same page with me on this, but. People got to stop worrying about the possession. Absolutely. No, you're dead um, on. They had plenty of shots, plenty of XG. Um, you know, FC was plenty dangerous. Toronto wasn't really all that all that dangerous for most of the game, even with the possession that they had. Um, if you look back at the last couple of years, Philly, who you know we think we're really influenced by, um, they've over the course of the season, both last two seasons, have averaged about forty eight percent possession and one of those years they won the supporter shield um the team with the worst possession numbers last year was portland timbers and they finished fourth in the west um yeah it's 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 not not about how long you have the ball it's what you it's what you do with the ball when you have it i mean do i want to see us have it more than 40 percent? yeah but you know i mean you can't say that they're not doing anything with the ball they're getting plenty of shots plenty of chances plenty of expected goals um so yeah it's not a possession league MLS is not a possession league. The players no. in MLS are not good enough to rack up these statistics where you get 70% possession. There are too many guys that are just aren't good enough at possessing the ball that turnovers result. And when you look at the teams that dominate possession in this league, the possession they dominate is in non-threatening parts of the midfield. You don't see those kind of sustained turning of the screw possessions like you see over in Europe where a team that has 60%, 65% possession, most of it's in the attacking third, and the goal feels inevitable. There's no MLS team that's good enough to do that. So if you're not good enough to do that when you have possession, then I'm not worried about the 5 to 10% difference in possession numbers as long as when you have the ball, you're getting it into threatening positions, you're getting good opportunities to score, and in fact, you're scoring. So... I find in this league specifically possession to be incredibly overrated. And I will take a thousand times out of a thousand a team that's ambitious with the ball over a team that is possessive of the ball. And there's a there's a there's a difference between those two things and in this league that really matters, I think. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm I'm honestly always surprised at the end of the game when I'm looking at the possession stats. Because in this game, uh, according to FOTMOB, FCC had 34% possession, and it didn't feel that way. Like, yes, when Toronto has the ball, uh, like you said, it's not threatening. I didn't feel like Cincinnati was besieged in this game. That that wasn't the vibe I got. Um, and I, I always watch these games, sort of get the vibe, and then go check the, the underlying data to see, like, oh, was my sense of the game right or not? And, yeah, the possession stats are always way off from how I sort of felt the game versus how it actually played out. Um, and, yeah, th- they took four more shots 
shots than FCC did, uh, outshot 11-7. to But keep in mind, Toronto had five shots either on the box line or outside of the box. FCC had one. So the higher quality chances inside of the box. I mean, Cincinnati was the better team. And, I mean, who scores that first goal? But uh, but Ian Murphy, and I feel like we have to talk about, I know I was anxious about a Haglin-Murphy backline going into this one, and then Haglin assists Murphy on his first goal. I mean, you got to feel confident when that happens in your backline, right, Chief? He, and, and Murphy <laughs> dropped what I think is a very interesting take in the post-match interview he did with Steck, where he said that he and Dom Baji had been given permission by Albright, or not Albright, by Noonan, to switch positions during the course of the match. Wow. So that goal he scored is because on the set piece, he was playing Dom Baji's role, and Baji was playing his role. And that's that positional flexibility that you talk about with Baji, where he goes and he plays in the back line in an emergency situation. Maybe not so emergency. Maybe this is something that that opens up some avenues, and it clearly was something they'd worked on in the training ground. It was a set piece that was well-designed, and it results in Murphy being wide open with a great opportunity, um, and it clearly confused Toronto and left him with a great opportunity to score that he took advantage of. I, I love what I've seen from Murphy. Um, that first game was a disaster, but the way he has bounced back has been fucking cool, and yeah. one of my favorite things that I, I noticed about this game, and I, I said it online was that FC Cincinnati finished this game with all three of their first three super draft picks on the field. With uh, Roman in goal, Ian Murphy playing at center back, and Mark up top as the substitute uh, striker. And that's incredible. The fact that (laughs) FC Cincinnati, that Albright has got three contributors out of the super draft, and that they're not just contributing, but in Murphy's case and Celentano's case, are playing extremely well to the point where you could make a case that they are already the first choice at their positions based on their play level. Or at the very least, you don't have a reason to drop them from the starting 11 yeah. now that the uh, their replacements are back healthy. That's unbelievable. That's That should be talked about more nationally with MLS, about in a league where, where the national media take is that the Super Draft needs to go away. And I don't disagree with that either. I think the Super <laughs> Draft my, needs to go my away. Take as yeah, well, my yes. take too. But the reason people say it needs to go away is that it, it, it's not a great way to find talent or a great way to distribute talent. Right. Albright crushed it this first draft. Absolutely crushed it based on the early results. I'll throw in there as well, Calvin Harris is on the field to end the game. Not Albright's pick, but the last generation Adidas player drafted and uh somebody who was more or less frozen out of stom's team has uh at least his past few games probably more a depth issue but has certainly found a spot on the field yeah i think that and i I tried to figure this out and i think i think i'm right that this was the first game that fc's won with two super drafts two super draft picks starting since they beat houston in 2019 wow Um, but I would guarantee it's the first game that they've won with four super draft picks on the field, <laughs> maybe even maybe even three. Um, but and, and they might be one of the only MLS teams to win with four super draft picks on the field. That's a like, that's an interesting stat. I, I I would I would be very interested in knowing if three of them that's happened anytime soon. 
in any time in recent memory. Right. Yeah, you know, and this if you, is all. If you feel yeah. like Murphy can, if you feel like Murphy can finish that that shot off like he did, if Noonan's confident that if Murphy's in in that position, he can he can finish, then you know that opens up all kinds of things because if you see you know Baji lining up on a set piece, you see Murphy lining up on a set piece, you know who draws your attention. So if you've scripted Murphy to get in the more dangerous spot, and you think that other players are going to be focused on, then He's got that wide open shot there, and then in the future, they other teams like, well, now we got to worry about Murphy, (laughs) (laughs) which is just wild because I mean we even talked about it on the last episode that everybody thought we should take Kip Keller and and you know FC Cincinnati needed to draft a center back and I mean super early low uh, not not a whole lot of. uh, small sample size is the phrase I'm looking for there. Um, but I mean, he looks like the steal of the draft and, and getting an MLS starter. And I mean, hell, are we even waiting for Cameron to get back? Like, I, I say you keep running Murphy out until the wheels fall off. Like, if he is already disciplined enough and Noonan trusts him enough to be switching with Baji and and doing some creative stuff positionally, and, and they trust him and believe in him to be able to do that. I mean, I why not? I like this is working really well. Keep Cameron in reserve. Let's right. let's not and, let's not burn him. That's the point. Is that I don't dislike Jeff Cameron. I think Jeff Cameron has been a overall a steadying influence in the back line. I like the way he plays. He's about two years past the sell-by date, but whatever. He's so much better than what we've had. He could be, you know, <laughs> you could have one leg, and he still would have been better than what we had going into the season <laughs> when we got him last year. But there's no reason to drop Murphy right now. You can't justify dropping Murphy based on based on the performance. Um, and the if other thing Murphy's I want to talk good, about, you can yeah. rotate. Yeah, if Murphy's yep. good, you can rotate, and just the ability to rotate those four guys, um, and. You know, put Blackett at left back sometimes. I Hold mean, on. What, what a staggering concept in FC Cincinnati is that, wait, we can rotate people? <laughs> the fuck is this? You mean there's we, other we people that trust. can play this position that don't suck? The fuck is that? <laughs> That's illegal. <laughs> we, it's the we master might trust chief more than one guy. Life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so can we, talk about, can we talk about Roman a little bit too in this segment? Because fucking hell. Please. Roman's, that, his goalkeeping performance was yes. stellar. And for yes. a kid that was only in his, what, third match played uh, with the first team, because he played the Open Cup, he played last week, this would be his third one. The It's the things that, I, the, the one that made me like just sit up and think, fuck, this guy is really good, is that last ball he goes out and collects, where he yeah. runs all the way out to almost the top of the 18 to go collect a ball where that thing was destined with any other keeper, maybe even Alec, to bounce once, and you know that's finding some guy from Toronto, and they're equalizing on a shot that he's out of position on. And he runs out, he collects it, takes control, and that was just a fantastic overall performance. And what I can't get over is for someone his age to have that kind of confidence and that kind of command in a late-game situation... With the with a little one goal lead you're protecting, that's incredible. That was stellar. That was yeah. great goalkeeping. Somebody somebody talk me down from this idea that he <laughs> should already be the starter right now. That like Ugh. we have a Wally Pip situation on our hands, 
and that just you know what? Let's go with him at this point. I was gonna say you'll you'll break Mitch uh, Mitch's heart. That, that's the oh, only reason I've got. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, so with with Roman and I I agree that moment stood out stood out to me as well, and I think it showed a lot of confidence. Showed a young guy who's like kind of feeling himself a little bit, um, but. And I, I look. I don't. I don't really pretend to know how to evaluate goalkeepers in any great detail. But the scouting on on Can was that he's an excellent shot stopper who is weak on crosses. And we've seen right. Roman, you know, really come out after crosses in a way that 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 maybe Can ordinarily doesn't. Um, and that's it. That's something to 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 consider. Certainly, um, people talk about his distribution not being very good, but you know, since we're not a team that's going to play with a ton of possession, and we're just trying to you know pick our spots, you know, press, win possession back, and go and go with the goal. I don't know that it's all that important to have a to have a a goalie who is like an eleventh field player out there. Right, no, that doesn't appear to be how they're playing, and the defense has been fine as is. And I mean, we got to talk about them now, I guess. But uh, designated player reinforcements in the defensive midfield, uh, Obi shows up in this game, um, and you got to think that yeah, like that work is being done. The team is set up for that. And I think just the the one thing you want out of a goalkeeper on this team right now is that they just keep the ball out of the back of the net. I don't think we need to be hyper analyzing their distribution or their shot stop or not not their shot stop, but their uh, you know, whatever else, their their footwork, their their ball playing skills. That doesn't uh that doesn't come into the equation, man. We we just need to avoid games like Austin and Montreal and we'll be okay. Um and yeah, Obi shows up in this game. I uh I'll be honest, he didn't stand out to me. He looked fast. That was good. I know everybody seems to have a positive impression. Um but yeah, nothing nothing jumped out at me, which is probably good. I remember when uh Old Mocha Joe ran out for his first appearance. I was thinking, "Oh my God, he looks like Madunyanen, and like not in a good way. Like he was right. slow. He was behind. He, he wasn't doing things quickly. Um, I didn't notice anything bad from Obi. Am I crazy? I mean, I think that if you have a strong take on Obi after watching 18 minutes of him, I, I you know, <laughs> there's something wrong with you. You 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 walked into the game with an agenda and a converse, walked into the conversation with an agenda. <laughs> or you're just a homer, in which case, you know what? Good on yeah, you for giving something to be fair. excited about. We've had so little <laughs> few to be excited about with this fucking team. If you saw Obi and it's like, my God, it's N'Golo Kante Part 2, cool. I'm not going to talk you down from being excited on that. <laughs> but uh, the, the one takeaway I had from watching him was that just, yeah, he's fast. But like, there's people that are fast, and there are people that move quickly, if that makes sense. And he's someone where he moves quickly, and he sort of glides over the field a little bit. Everything seems like it's all all in one fluid motion with him, and most of MLS, a lot of MLS, plays out of control, where it, it's a lot of fury and a lot of thunder, but at the end of the day, you really don't know what direction it's going to end up in. Um, right. <laughs> and and with, with Obi, he did seem to have a little bit of that European 
he moves with purpose and there's very little wasted motion in everything that he's doing. And that was kind of neat to watch. We haven't seen that from any of the people we've signed with European pedigrees. We seem to get them <laughs> when they're old and busted or where they have a bum wheel or something fucking wrong with them. So that was kind of good. So that's at least confirmation that he isn't nursing some horrendous injury, which is the reason why we have him and why he was available to us. So I'll treat that as a positive and... If that's my one takeaway, great. And we'll hopefully see a little more of him in this next Toronto game and we can make a fuller opinion. Yeah, just a couple things stood out to me. One was, yeah, he seems to move really well. Um, he tracked back a few times and got into good defensive positions, you know, and was there. Um, which I remember uh, Mako Joe, I mean, the guy the guy moved like he was hurt. Like like, <laughs> like he was nervous. Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> but Was uh, fucking hurt. And then there was a there was a nice sequence in um, I, I want to say like the seventy fifth seventy sixth minute where he took the bo- he took the ball off Pozuelo and retained it and you know moved the ball forward and then we lost the ball again and he was there to take it from another Toronto player I think it was their left back and again like he didn't just get his foot on the ball both those times yeah. right yeah he won he won the ball and flipped possession right. which so often in the midfield especially you've seen guys you know do a decent job getting in position uh, getting their foot on the ball but they don't win it and then they end up getting behind the attacker trying to win it and then now the attacker has that open field in front of him to move to move toward the box yeah. um, so just like th- those couple of little plays there I was like, okay, this is definitely something that we've been missing yeah. from the midfield. Um, but, I mean, hope maybe he starts tomorrow and we see more of it. But I think, like, yeah, I mean, I was certainly encouraged by what I saw, but we need to see we need to see him to do it for 90 minutes at a designated player level. Yeah, it's what we talked about like a couple of weeks ago when we, we had the signing announcement, and that's it. You, you watch his highlights from Europe. Or from uh, from Turkey, and he's got a sticky foot. When he when he gets the ball, the ball stays with him, um, and he turns the he turns ta- he turns tackles into possession going the opposite direction. And for a team like FC Cincinnati that immediately wants to push the ball forward and go upfield and go route one directly at the goal, not a lot of you know back and forth passing and back and forth possession. That ability to take a offensive possession and then turn it around, going the other direction. I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, especially with Yuya Kubo and Lucho Acasa, especially that he can offload the ball to and, and, and make things happen. And there was one moment in the game, and I know we're, th- this is bullshit. Like we're picking over individual highlights <laughs> over a 20 minute span, but there was one moment where he, he did have possession and he was looking to play a through ball. And it's one of those things where, give him another couple weeks where he has the timing down and how fast people are moving down and where they, what their tendencies are, where they like the ball. And maybe that results in something different. But for me, it was, he doesn't appear to be hurt. He appears to be as advertised and fuck if that's not a change of pace for who we sign, you know, to (laughs) designated player contracts. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if, if in the near term, he's basically just winning the ball in the midfield and then making an easy short pass to like Kubo or Moreno or somebody, 
I'm cool with that while he gets while he gets you know ready. I mean, hopefully, eventually he gets used to the the other players and how they play and can make some of those through balls himself. And that would be you know really dynamic to have a guy like that as a as a defensive midfielder. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. Oh, so let me let me guys sell you on an idea that I uh, that I pitched to the uh, the CST intelligentsia. It's the old Bob Bradley Christmas tree formation. Four three two one, where the three in front of the back line is Kubo, Moreno, and Obi. Ahead of them, Lucho, Miguel Almiron, and up top is Vasquez. <laughs> Who says no? I mean, come on. <laughs> how many how many designated players are we allowed to have these days? Presumably, Brenner is in at International. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's. We got to assume Brenner shipped out, and I believe we'd have to to somehow offload a Tonga to free up a des, a senior, a third senior designated player spot to bring in uh, Almiron. Um, I mentioned Almiron because FC Cincinnati still on top of the heap of the allocation order. Uh, we appear to be determined to stay on top, and if it's just to collect a hundred k every time somebody manages to get a deal for one of these guys, I'm fine with it. You know, presumably we're we're saving up this money for something. Uh, all of the cash is for this year, and it does expire this year. So I'm gonna assume Albright has a plan here, but um, what what's the plan? What's the goal here? <laughs> FCC's been on top of the allocation list ever since they've joined MLS. I don't know if we've actually ever signed anybody off the allocation list. Maybe one person. But uh, it's reset every year based on standings plus whatever uh, new team has expanded. So we've always been at the top. And um, no, no, uh, no, no players have showed up yet that I can remember. I might be missing something. I, but, um, I, I think it's I think it's legit. This is Chris Albright. That's why we brought him in. Is that we yeah. went for years with people that didn't understand how these rules worked and how to exploit these rules in your favor. And now we've got a guy who who read who did the assignment, who read the rule book, who studied, and we're making money off every single one of these transactions. And until MLS changes the rule, yeah, make more money. And then I'm my only hope would be is that. At the end of all this, in the summer transfer window, or at some point, we take all this—you know—these tricky don fun bucks we've been accumulating, and we make a deal for someone inside of MLS that's on a domestic contract that we can make as an addition that costs us money. So, fuck yeah, why not? Love it. So, Rent-seeking behavior. I love it. So <laughs> my, I, I really don't think that his plan is to just sit on it all season and make. 100k 125k every time somebody signs a player because while that you know sounds like a great plan uh i don't know how many more signings off the allocation (laughs) list we could really we can really expect i mean i looked at the list and there's a lot of guys on it but not a lot that i thought okay there's a chance this guy comes back to mls this year so you need so austin made 350 right right we made 125 so for that to make sense long term, you need to have three more guys off the allocation list that people want to sign over the course of the season. And I, I frankly, I don't, I don't see it. Um, so or I you think- need to have one more guy, and that next time 
you take the full bag and trade yeah, all the way right. down. So you yes. take your 125 now, and the next time it comes up, you take the 350 or the 400. Then all of a sudden you're at 500, and that that's some shopping money in MLS. Right. So I think that there's 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 two possibilities here. One is um, there's real smoke to Almiron coming back to MLS, and either Albright thinks we can we can sign him, which I am not super convinced of. But I could be convinced. Would love to be convinced. Um, <laughs> is that is that there's real smoke to Almira coming back to MLS, and he's like, well, if I'm holding the the top allocation spot when Almiron comes, and somebody's paying, you know, whatever transfer fee that they're paying for Almiron plus his salary, that's going to be a six hundred thousand dollar allocation spot, you know, that I'm that I'm sitting on, and not right, a three fifty right, right allocation spot. So like that's a that's a big. That's a big, better payday. Um, more likely, it. I feel like. I more more likely, I think they do still want to sign somebody. Um, Gruezo is still out there. The problem with that is he seems to be back in favor at Augsburg, and they look like they're staying up. Um, so if he's if he's playing yeah. regularly for Good a team chance. that's still going to be in the Bundesliga next year. Um, I don't know how eager he will be to move. Um, also, you also question: Does signing Obi negate the need for Gruezo? Because you're putting a lot of money in your defensive midfield at that point, which you know that could make sense because you can move Obi over to the right. He's played on the side of the midfield quite a bit in his career. Gruezo would then be in the center there. Um, but there's some other guys on the list who who could fit who wouldn't be DPs, and as as Kevin like a, mentioned, like a Matt Miazga, like Matt Miazga as a center back. Um, it looks like his salary is just under a million dollars. So if Chelsea would be willing to uh, let him go on a free this summer, um, that's a Tam signing. And like I said in the last episode, most teams with with really good center backs are paying them somewhere in the 600 to like low million range and we don't have yeah. anybody even close to that so like miazga is like he's still just what like 25 he's young 24 like, yeah. 24 25 really young so you bring him over on a million dollars and that's that's your anchor at center back for the you know foreseeable foreseeable future and he's also a, a guy. If you get him to a longer term contract, is is somebody who, if you if he's really good, could be like a two million dollar gam trade to somebody else in the league. You know, like he's yeah. he's the Walker Zimmerman, right? So, right. Yeah. So so to me, the whole thing is, is that there's only so many players that are on the allocation list. So if you do your homework as a GM, you probably by talking to agents and asking around, you probably have a good idea of who is angling to come back to MLS at any given time period. So as long as you know there's like three or four guys that are open to it in the summer, it makes sense to hold on to the the, the number one spot in the allocation order because you know it's going to get used again. Now, if you're out there and you don't get the sense that people are on that list are, are going to move, then the move would have been to sell it straight out to Real Salt Lake and take your full your full ride. So my guess is is that with 
Almiron, there's probably some smoke to that, some real fire to that, that FC Cincinnati wants him. But if they know he's moving and he wants to move back to MLS, they could be in a position where they're holding on to the spot. They're going to see what they can get out of Brenner. And if they can move Brenner, great, we'll make the move for Almiron. If we can't move Brenner, we'll sell the spot to the person that wants to make the move for him. So either way, it makes sense to hold the spot if you know there's someone coming back, even if it's not exactly the person you want, but if, especially if it's the person you want, hold the spot. Worst case scenario, you're selling it to the person that gets the guy when you can't. So to me, it's, yeah. just, it's, it's smart general managing, and it's also doing your homework, calling around, figuring out where, what these guys are up to, because um, it's a small player pool that's on the list, so there's no, there's no reason why you can't talk to these agents and figure out at the very least if it makes sense to hold the spot or not. The other thing Kevin mentioned that's worth keeping in mind is if you move, even if they move Brenner in the summer, if they replace him with another senior DP, then that means they have to remove the U22 designation from Barrial. Atanga's um, transfer fee is too high, so Barrial becomes a player mm. who who is probably a, a low TAM player if you factor in his transfer fee because his salary is, I think. I want to say like high to like two hundreds. It wouldn't shock um, me for all of these guys to be off the roster by the summer transfer window, though. That's true. That's true. Could you use the gam from all of this squatting to pay down Barriel so that it doesn't it doesn't hit that hard on the cap space? Because that might be I, that, the play. That that's my understanding. Is you can use gam to buy down somebody from a U22 um, designation. Mm. But I, I think I, I, I assume that by doing that, that you have to treat them like any other player on the roster. So somebody like a Tanga, who's got a $4 million transfer fee. Would then have to be a you DP? Know, that's, that's amortized. Yeah, I mean, he's right at like yeah. max TAM DP range, which oh. is crazy. For a guy who can't get a minute on the FCT two team, right? But that's, I don't, but that's that's we don't need to go down that we don't need to go down that road. Plus, like, <laughs> I, I, it's you know, it is what it no, is. No, no, that's a good point though because I mean, obviously they're stockpiling gam, and yes, maybe the move is an internal trade that makes sense. Um, but I've been trying to figure out whose salary it would make sense to pay down because right now the DPs seem pretty settled. I, I, it didn't. It didn't exactly jump out to me as to whose salary made sense. And yeah, maybe Barriels does. Uh, it wasn't a, a crazy high transfer fee broken up over the whatever three point five years or whatever his contract was. So um, well, you can't maybe. buy down Lucho or Brenner. We know for a fact because of, right because Lucho on salary alone, Brenner salary plus transfer fee plus Lucho has yeah. a transfer fee. So you have to <laughs> yes. factor that in. And Obi can't be bought down this year. I think is the understanding, at least. I don't. I don't know about that. I don't think he can he's be a, bought down at all because of the, the transfer okay. fee that he's on. That has so to he's be a amortized. three million dollar. He was a three million dollar transfer fee according to transfer market. So that amortizes as one million dollars a year over three years. So he'd have to be on under six hundred thousand dollars or six hundred twelve thousand uh, dollars in salary to be able to buy him down. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like 
he's under that. It sounds like he's probably a little over that. But also, you run into yeah. the problem of, okay, if you overload your roster with guys who are Max Tam, and you have that amount of allocation money committed to their salary and transfer fee every year, it limits how much allocation money you have to do, like, internal trades within the league where maybe you can get so you, it's a one-time six hundred thousand six hundred thousand dollar payment but then you got a contributor right. coming in who makes only like three hundred four hundred thousand dollars so he's not a big um not a big anchor on your on your future plans and with roster rules like this it's hard to imagine that fc cincinnati only draws a hundred thousand people on national tv games <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to know more about this? Who wouldn't want to spend their free time learning about <sighs> the 16 different types of salary slots, the four different types of cash, and the <laughs> fucked up way player acquisition works in this league? Well, Gerard Nightcamp wouldn't want to learn anything <laughs> yeah, about that. He certainly yes. wouldn't. <laughs> I, um, if Gerard I mean, listened to this podcast, his mind would be blown by all the information being dropped here. <laughs> this is incredible fun facts that we're learning together. I, I've been kicking around an article idea for the post of um, obviously everybody pitches their MLS needs to simplify the rule book uh, ideas. I I want to come up with more complicated things. I want more no, roster spots. I want more ro- uh, more currencies. More. This is this is a really obscure <laughs> reference, but the movie Basketball, where they talk yeah. about how the playoff structure works, and it ends with Dan Patrick saying that if no winner is decided on the field. Potato sack races will be held on alternating Saturdays to determine which team advances. <laughs> and I just imagine that when they were planning MLS, that Don Garber, whoever the fuck was in charge of this league back then, watched that movie and was like, yep, that's the future of sports in America. This is what the kids want. Write that down. <laughs> Write that down. Um, rewind I, rewind I, that. Play it back. I just, I just want to make one thing clear about the MLS rules. They are a lot of things. What they are not is uh, communism, uh, which, which I, think, I think CST uh, said it was like communism somehow, like the allocation spot. When, when billionaires in a cartel create complicated rules that they enforce each other against each other to prevent anybody from outpacing the others to protect their investment, that's not communism. It's more like polo. It's more like... like Capitalism. I mean, I mean, people in a cartel. That's 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 capitalism. It's, the called, the, that's capital- it's called the stock market, and it's MLS instead of the SEC. A lot of very obscure rules, a lot of random conditions and shit that you have to follow if you want to make all of this money, and it prevents regular people from making that same kind of money. Right. If 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 cartels and, and price fixing weren't a part of capitalism, you wouldn't need antitrust laws. <laughs> what would soccer communism it's, look like? Because there's no soccer league in the world that is communist. So I mean, fuck, I, the Premier I, League is unrestrained capitalism. I pitched this to to Grayson. So this is this is what it would look like. It would be all of the players and club employees collectively own the club. The players elect a coach, and they get to to make a two thirds majority vote on any general manager moves. Obviously, they approve the hiring of the general manager, and then they share in the profits. Now, I mention this because uh, Brazilian soccer player Socrates, of course. Uh, amazing, amazing uh, political activist in his day ran the Brazilian club Corinthians this way. 
all of the players before games voted on the tactics. They voted on subs, and he was a pro-democracy advocate in the face of the military dictatorship. And it was like this big, wonderful uh, political movement. And of course, it ends like all great movements do with a big money move to Napoli. And uh, uh, that was the end of the so- uh, the. Ex- was- with Socrates being executed, but that would have been too historically on the nose. <laughs> no, but it, it is Socrates' Corinthians team is a fascinating insight into what a a, a socialist club proper, not St. Pauli, not uh, Detroit City, what, what a proper socialist club might actually look like. Very good. See, the pro- they, the prob- they were the successful, that, though, I should point out. The problem with that, though, at the end of the day is that then you get into like a shop standard system, like union rules, and then seniority carries the day, and you've got like 80-year-old like players <laughs> that are on the field breaking hips because they're not the best, but they've got seniority, and we've got to let them take the good gig. Oh, come on. Isn't that how we ended up with Vermeer and Cameron in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Is FCC the most pro-union soccer club in America? It's certainly the most egalitarian because there's not a lot of excess value we're extracting from the players for the salaries they're getting paid. (laughs) Some of the biggest contributors are the least paid. (laughs) You have nothing to lose but your chains. For every for every episode now, our, right before we end the first segment, we should talk about what a soccer league would look like under various different political and socioeconomic structures. Way into this. Way <laughs> into this. <laughs> like, there was a thing on NPR I was listening to the other day where it asked, is America already a gerontocracy ruled by the olds? And I was, well, yeah, that's Ooh. really on the nose, but I don't know that I would say yeah, that. I like it. Um, but like, yeah, what what is an MLS league under a totalitarian a totalitarian MLS regime? Or well, a, a fascist soccer league is La Liga. It was Real Madrid under. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's get out of this segment. Uh, coming up, part two. Uh, we got Josh Hakala. He's an Open Cup nerd. Um, we go into uh, his site, thecup.us. If you've ever looked up anything about the Open Cup, you have run into their website. They essentially run the only website dedicated to the United States' oldest soccer tournament, soccer competition, one of the oldest soccer competitions on planet Earth. Uh, Josh, was a fantastic uh, conversation. Uh, Enjoy that. Part three, we've got the second Toronto game. We're going to record after the game immediately and then post the episode. So, Who knows what that'll look like. Hopefully we get to talk about another win. So uh, catch you on the other side. Oh, and here we are, part two of the postcast. And we are joined by a very special guest. We have with us Josh Hacklett. Josh is the creator and senior editor of The Cup. Dot us and if you have heard of the open cup tournament you have absolutely run into the cup.us that is the website for all things open cup i swear i i reference it more than the federation's own website it seems to be more accurate more up to date and honestly just more full of content so props to you josh um thanks for joining us on the uh, on the old postcast yeah thanks for having me um, I guess I, I got to start off with the, dare I say, obvious question, but uh, 
Why the Open Cup? Well, I, I think I took the uh, the advice of an early mentor uh, a little to the extreme when they said that if you're going to get into sports broadcasting or sports journalism, find your niche. That was that was what they told me. You got to find. You don't want to be like the millionth person to start like an NFL show or like be a, you know, an NBA writer. Obviously, if you want to do that, by all means, go for it. Just know that it's going to be a very crowded field and, and yes. it, your chances of success are not very high. So um, so I yeah, I took that to an extreme because I, I chose I, I mean, I follow and, and write about and, and broadcast every sport. But uh, I, I chose soccer as sort of like a focus and then. Took it a step further when I found a niche within a niche and found uh, and found the U.S. <laughs> Open Cup. Oh, that's, I mean, that's a great piece of advice and something that I've had to push back on friends who are like, "Oh, Kevin, you like soccer? You should just write about all of the soccer." Like, no, I- I'd rather not compete with the Guardian and the BBC. <laughs> that's good. Um, <laughs> so, You're gonna be a Manchester, a Manchester United beat writer. Like, I mean, right. <laughs> I, I think they're well covered. I feel like you're 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 in a good spot. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. So I guess, uh, yeah. What is your what is your background? You, you talked about writing about and uh, different sports and broadcasting. Uh, how did, how did you get dragged into all this? Well, um, when I when I was in high school, uh, Major League Soccer started, and uh, I was basically just following the league as anyone in the mid nineties did, which was like try to figure out this new internet thing and um <laughs> and look in box scores in the USA today. That was kind of all that I had. I had message boards, like very archaic message boards and <laughs> and USA Today box scores. So that was all I had. And so since we, we were living in Lansing, Michigan and there's no team around, the closest thing we had was Columbus. And, right. you know, if you know anything about, you know, obviously you do, but like, <laughs> like the relationship between Michiganders and, and people from Ohio, that's, that's a tough sell to, to root yeah. for a Columbus team. So, um, so we, we were, I mean, we went to Columbus crew games, you know, but we just couldn't, I don't know, we couldn't find that attachment. And so we just kind of picked teams to root for uh, my friends and I, yeah. and, uh, and I just sort of out of the blue picked the Tampa Bay Mutiny because I was like, oh, Carlos Valderrama, oh, no. like he's good, and and like they 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 play some attractive soccer, they score a lot of goals. Let's root for them. Why not? They've got a weird name. Why not? And uh, and so how I got tied into that that leads me into my first Open Cup exposure, which was a friend of mine uh, had found on a message board. There's this tournament called the U.S. Open Cup, and it's like. It's sort of like the FA Cup. It's actually exactly like the FA Cup, but it's like the same concept with like anybody can play anybody. And uh, and we're like, we have that? <laughs> like, and yeah, we've had that. And we've had it for like, you know, at that time, like 80 years. And uh, and so he was like, yeah, there's a, the Tampa Bay Mutiny are going to play in Saginaw, Michigan, like in this tournament. And I'm like, oh, wait, so it's like an exhibition game, right? And he's like, no, no, no. This like, it's like a March Madness tournament. Like it counts. <laughs> I'm like, this sounds like this sounds bananas. Like, of course I'm gonna go see, you know, the Tampa Bay Mutiny, and I'm sure they'll just like roll out a bunch of backup players. And no, sure enough, as I traveled up to Saginaw, Michigan, uh, to this middle school, 
I think a middle school football field <laughs> slash soccer field. Nothing saw, more open cup. Yes. <laughs> very much so. Very much so. I saw them play uh, with a full starting lineup, Carlos Valderrama and Musa Shannon and Steve Ralston and Scott Garlic and all these players playing against the mid Michigan bucks who are now the you know, Flint city bucks. Um, I watched them play and I watched them play them tough. Like it was, it, it was a two, one game. It was, it was two to nothing. And then, uh, the Bucks scored a late goal and like made it interesting at the end. And I'm sitting there like five feet from the sideline, which I don't know why that was allowed, <laughs> but uh, there, there were no, there were no bleacher seats because there were so many people there. And uh, I'm like, this is amazing. And uh, sure enough, and this was uh, the, this is 99. So it was a good year to jump on the open cup bandwagon because then we're, we, as yeah. we follow the tournament, we're like, Hey, there's this team in Rochester and they've just beat a couple MLS teams. They're like, what is going on? This is amazing. Let's follow them. And like, so like, we followed them and uh, I ended up going to the 99 final, like just because like I, I wanted to see some history and I did. So that was kind of uh, like my intro to it. And then I followed it as a fan for a few years. I started a radio show in 2002, I think with uh, at the radio station I was at, we streamed online and we covered the open cup and like, I don't know, like we thought it should be. And then somebody reached out to us and was like, hey, we've got this URL. It's usopencup.com. We'll build you a website if you want to use it to like promote the tournament or promote your coverage, your interviews. And I was like, let's do it. And so all we did was just like, (laughs) we posted scores. We, you know, we didn't do a lot of feature writing. We, you know, who has time for that? I was in college, I was doing things. And we had this show to produce every week. It was like two hours. So we had a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> so I just like posted scores and really didn't do much with it. And then, you know, we would obviously post our interviews and things. But sure. And then as the years went on, it was like, uh, I mean, every year went past. We we're like, we're the only ones doing this. Like, I feel like we should kind of <laughs> do it professionally. And by professionally, I mean, not to be paid for it, but to do it like a professional. (laughs) God, isn't, isn't that American soccer media? It's like, we'll we'll do it professionally. Like just copy the big boys and and do it for free. Yes. Professionally with a (laughs) giant asterisk. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, we, we, and yeah, then the rest that that's every year we, you know, we did it a little bit better. And then I think, I can't remember what year it was. There was some year where we had this like, uh, this moment where we're like, you know, I feel like we should just try to cover every game. And then we thought like, who are we going to have do that? <laughs> and then, Like, I don't know. We're on a bunch of message boards. Let's like reach out to people. There's, you know, there's a guy in Sacramento we know let's have him do, you know, or so we kind of just pieced together coverage and, and it was, uh, you know, it's kind of now it, it's, we're, we're in our 19th year of doing this. So it's, uh, and, and now we, every, every game we have somebody at the game. And, and so we, try to you know do it quote unquote professionally so <laughs> well i i gotta tip my cap to you we appreciate the uh, the effort the coverage because uh lord knows the uh the professionals aren't doing it so <laughs> right and no and i i can't tell you how many times that i've had like every off season i it's been a little better and we had the two-year break obviously so that certainly right helped a little bit um in terms of the overwhelmingness of the of of the cut of the all the work that goes into it so it was kind of a much needed break but you know i would say every every other off season i would sit here and think man 
what am I doing? Like, should we just like should we just can this and like it, if maybe maybe just to make a point like what if we just went away then what would happen like, <laughs> right. who would who would cover it I would kind of want to know it, it, and and we we came so close a couple of times and I was like you know let's just let's just do it <laughs> but we we obviously love doing it but it's like I mean it honestly is it is a ton of work so it and, and my wife will be the first one to tell you um she kind of she has a love-hate relationship with this tournament so <laughs> we uh uh with the post uh a common a common topic is uh wife points for us because it's yes. all classic it's all dudes and yeah we we talk about you know, you make withdrawals you make deposits you know you gotta you gotta like temper this hobby with with your loved ones because yeah they they don't get it they're confused as to why you're obsessed with a 100 year old tournament and uh yeah. <laughs> no she <laughs> so gets I, I think she she totally understands it but okay. it's also awful <laughs> to lose your husband for roughly a week at a time. So, like, right. you know, when we're doing all the previews leading up to it, I don't even know why we started doing previews. I, I love that we do it, and I think it's – but it was like we didn't have to. Would there have been an outrage? Would, would people have been at my front porch with pitchforks if I would have stopped doing previews? But, like, we just felt – again – professional with an asterisk you know so we we felt like we needed to at least at least we do a preview blurbs now as we call them so we don't right. do we don't we don't have the manpower or the woman power to do full-blown previews of every game and so we at least do like we'll give you like three or four paragraphs on each game so that's that's what you get yeah. that, that was our that was my compromise so there it is <laughs> i want to make clear i don't do the wife points thing my wife is very supportive <laughs> i think you got wife points just for saying that that was good yeah that's how that works <laughs> you know so, i i couldn't help but uh but notice you you talked about a url uh i believe it was theopencup.com that is not your url right now no. what what happened <laughs> um so i i i don't have all the dates that the, everything's fuzzy uh, I, I, I crossed the 40 year old threshold, so I, I, I'm allowed to not get dates right. But That's fair. after a few years of doing the, the site, we finally were like, you know what? We're putting so much work into this. There's so much that goes into it. There's so much time and effort and research and everything. We should try to get paid like something. No one's getting rich. We know this. We're not. No, no one. No one is like planning their retirement covering the open cuff i get that but i was like we should at least aim to at least get something for our time and to maybe like pay the people who do the reporting at the stadiums and and, and you know do all the do all the work for us there um so i was like why don't we put up a donation button something something like that you know pre pre patreon you know like it was just like a simple yeah. donation button and then the the people who um, who gave us the URL in the first place, uh, uh, Demosphere, who still does you know amazing websites for soccer teams and tournaments and everything, um, so they were the ones that that started this whole thing, and so I reached out to them and I was like, since they created the website, I don't know how to make websites. I can manage websites. <laughs> I don't I don't know how to design them. So I reached out to them. I was like, can we just put a donation button on there? And they're like, I don't know. Let's look into it. And they reached out to the federation. And they're like, can we do that? Like, that seems fine, right? And apparently it was not okay because <laughs> they own the copyright for U.S. Open Cup. And so technically mm. 
they could take the URL from us anytime they wanted. But since we were doing uh... such a good job of covering their tournament, they kind of looked the other way. This is from what I this is from what I was told. So right. they were happy. They were happy to let us do it. But until if we ever started making money off of said URL, wow. then then that's when the lawyers would get involved and they would not be happy about that. So I get it. You know, lawyers have their job. I I, I get it. So um, so I was like, how about we just reach out to them and just say, hey, we're doing we're doing your job for you. We're we're really good at it. Why don't we set something up, like arrange something or do 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 something where we can get some money donation wise or otherwise, whatever, even give us a few t-shirts. I don't care. Like something. (laughs) And, and, um, they, they, they were not high on that. They didn't like that idea. So, um, I, I'm not sure why I, I, I'm sure it was a legal thing. I, 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 I never got the full story on that. So, um, so yeah, so they actually ended up, I think the officially, I think Demosphere ended up giving them the URL. Like, cause I was okay. like, well, since, since I can't make any money on this, like I, there's no future for, for making money on this. Um, then I just decided, well, let's just come up with a new URL. Let's do something else and go our separate ways. And, and then they can just use the URL, I guess. And so they, they basically just gave them the URL. And, uh, and so we had to come up, the, the worst part is we had to come up with something new and we couldn't come up with anything. We can we it was the worst. It's like naming a child only like worse because then you had lawyers involved because like we couldn't. Name and they're anybody. already ten years old. Yes. Right. Yeah. It was like Lam- it was like dot com. I don't know, like couldn't couldn't do opencup.com because it's too similar. And like we went back and forth with with the lawyers about like, can we do this? Nope. Can we do this? Eh, no. And it just went went on forever and finally like the cup.us was the best thing we could come up with which is really sad but we decided to roll with it and then i think by the time we really thought man we gotta change it it was already kind of established and i think people (laughs) were used to it and so i think we're kind of stuck with it so i don't i don't know if you guys have any suggestions by all means send or any of your listeners have any suggestions you know shout them our way you know if Preferably lawyer-friendly ones. If we had suggestions, we probably wouldn't be like the postcincy.com and then <laughs> the Cincy Postcast for our podcast. Our, and, and then only referring to ourselves as the post and everything. Yeah, right. it's not confusing at all. Our, our brand identity is nailed on, so yes. Is there a Cincinnati Post? I, I don't know my newspaper. So, there used to be. So there there was. Be a paper, yeah. <laughs> Which is, right. and like... Recent enough to where the vast majority of people over the age of, say, 35, 40 remember it. So, like, it's, it's it not ancient history. It did sound yeah. familiar, but I, I wasn't entirely sure. So, <laughs> Just really nervous about the day that we also put a donate button on our site. And uh, the Inquirer, oh. which is the paper of record in town, remembers that they own all of the copyrights to the post. and um, All we, downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, so I guess, uh, no, your, your story is, is a similar one that I imagine most American soccer fans learn about the open cup, which is they have a local team or have picked a team and 
randomly as they see it, uh, a game pops up on the schedule against a team that they've never heard of and go, hey, what the heck is this thing? Um, and trying to sort it out. I know, honestly, that's how I came across it here in Cincinnati. It was... Um, it was included, uh, an Open Cup match was included in our season tickets, and it was like, oh, the Open Cup? What is this? To the Google machine, please. Um, and, uh, and and figuring out, Hopefully and then of course... popped up. I, yeah, I, I exactly. That. <laughs> no, that's exactly what happens there. Um, so, I, the Open Cup history, I mean, is long, is awesome, is huge. Uh I don't know if you know this information off the top of your head. I'm just going to ask you because as far as I'm concerned, you're the most expert person I've ever talked to about the Open Cup. And okay. I, I, I don't know if that's if that's fair or not to you. Um, did MLS teams participate in the Open Cup in the first few seasons of MLS? Was that a thing? Yep, they joined. Yeah, they did. Um, they actually, you know, I haven't gotten a really – solid answer as to exactly how they determined which teams i think i have been told that it was basically like hey do you guys want to play and they, <laughs> and they like signed up uh like i i there was no i don't think there was a mandate that they had to um okay. so so there were some teams that didn't participate so um like i like the wow. la galaxy i don't think participated until 99 that might have been their first year um they also had uh, Champions Cup to deal with in one of those years, right. you know, and so I mean, so they had other, they had some schedule issues, but um, but yeah, no, they were in it in '96. We actually called the '95 the first year of the modern era because, which is confusing for people because everyone assumes like modern must include Major League Soccer, um, but '95 was the first year that we had what is the current tiered professional system. This was the first year that we had professional mm. teams in mass, like join the tournament. And I should, and I use en mass like very uh, <laughs> lightly because there were only 16 like teams or whatever like that, that participated. <laughs> so, um, but at least we had a second division pro, we had a third division pro and we had a, an open, you know, a fourth division, if you will, an open division of amateur teams. So it was like, that's like sort of a modern while we didn't have a division one it was still like the form and it also included professional teams and so not and and i have to be i have to absolutely mention that there's a lot of confusion and the, part of this is our fault because when we first started the site we called it the modern professional era because that is an accurate way to describe it however right. it gives the impression that there was it was not professional prior to 1995 so this was going to be my my follow-up question yes yeah right <laughs> so there were professional teams like years like decades and decades ago but it was you know between you know when nasl uh popped up on the scene it like that was kind of like when professional soccer in the open cup kind of died for a while because they didn't say so um, it, but before then, you know, we had a, a variety of leagues. Obviously, it had its glory days in the twenties and thirties. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, that we've had professional soccer for you know a hundred years here, more than a hundred years. So it's, uh, it's just, so we kind of just screwed up the branding there and confused a lot of people <laughs> because everyone just and but the the problem with that was it kind of was true that it was kind of mostly amateur teams from 
you know, the late sixties through 1994, roughly. So, um, right. so I mean, if we were, I call it the dark ages of the open cup is that era when the NASL popped up and like the open cup was really pushed to the back burner. Um, Players and coaches who participated during that era don't appreciate that name uh, because, you know, <laughs> some of them, they won trophies and it was a big deal to them. And it was, and it's great. Congratulations. But um, it was, I, I call it the dark ages mostly because nobody knew it was happening. So there was just right. no media coverage at all. And for me and uh, Chuck Nolan, who I uh, started the site with, I, sh- I should have mentioned him in the origin story. Like basically when we started the site, I had the current information, but I didn't have the historical information. Mm. And I mean, I knew of it, but I didn't have it gathered. And Chuck had it gathered. Like he had already <laughs> like started piecing together this like re- old results and things. And so, you know, I met him on a message board and we got together and the, that's, that's basically how all American soccer started was on a message board. So <laughs> we, uh, we, he, we combined forces. And, and so he's our like chief historian. And so he can mm. tell you, He's the one you can ask obscure questions about the Open Cup's history, you know, like the starting lineup for Bethlehem Steel in 1928, you know, and things like that. Like he, he could do it. Oh, that's uh, there was a uh, we were debating whether or not we would do a segment with you, and maybe we do this with Chuck at some point, which was uh, having you guys decide whether or not a team name was real or fake. And we were going to give you like, oh, you know, like the the Milwaukee Croatians and being like, I, mm, you know, <laughs> that, that sounds like a game. That sounds like a game we need. To have. Um, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite name that I, I always throw around and it always gets lots of uh, lots of attention on social media whenever the because we do a lot of um, historical tidbits about, you know, on this day in yeah. Open Cup history. And, and like I that. love those. Um, yes. I think whenever, I know where you're going with this one. Come up, yeah. Yeah, I, I've got a few Cincinnati ones. I, there's not many, but I have a few. But um, the, the, my favorite one to highlight, because people just can't believe it's real, is there in Massachusetts in 1914 and 1915, there was a team called the Young Men's Catholic Total Abstinence Society FC. <laughs> that was all. Yeah. And what was confusing, what's confusing, this is why, this is why research is important. Uh, we found it initially... Uh, as an abbreviation, because holy crap, that's a really long name. Why would anybody write that all out in a newspaper article? And it was always said to us as YMCA, Total Abstinence Society. And so I'm like, oh, the YMCA sponsored a team, neat. And then upon <laughs> further like research into this team, I find that it was Young Men's Catholic Total Abstinence Society. And just to add a layer to that, um, it's not the abstinence you're thinking of. Uh, it, it's the alcohol was the oh. was, was the sin of the era. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume the people who were anti-alcohol in 1915 were probably not pro-sex. But sure. I'm just gonna say that the abstinence <laughs> they were referring to was most definitely of the alcohol variety. Where is the New England Revolution throwback night for that team? I mean, come I've on. Been, I have a picture of their jersey. I oh. found a picture, and the problem, and, and we're gonna we're gonna do it. We're gonna have a shirt. Don't worry. It'll it's gonna happen. Please. The, the problem with it is, it says temps down the side, 
like uh, like uh, sort of on the, the the left or right side, I can't remember which. On on the shirt, it just says temps in vert like vertical letters, and um, no one knows what that means. Oh, <laughs> so, it's temperance. I mean, it's right. temperance. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, but like if you look at that, you're not going to go, oh, young men's Catholic total right, access. Right. Obviously. So well, if you know, you'll know. Right. So a, I think we I might, might just I think we might just make one of those just for fun. But I feel like we we need to recruit some graphic designers and somebody to help us. You know, like I think this is a thing Ooh. with college sports these days where and I can't tell the difference honestly, um, is some of these teams, they come up with these fake throwback jersey or yes. not jersey, but like shirts, they look like they're like the original, like from something from the twenties. But it, they, I think some graphic designer just made it up and it's fine. It's usually cool anyway, but, um, I feel like we should be able to recruit a couple of graphic designers to like come up with what would a young men's Catholic total abstinence society FC logo look like? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to figure that out. And I, I think it could be great. Like, very yeah. subtle. I don't think it needs to be, like, absurd. I think it could be, like, yes. very subtle in its abstinence. I think, uh, one, Grayson should write a uh, an alternate timeline history of all of these teams making it to the <laughs> 2000s and going professional and and us developing a, a pyramid like England and then two yes you should absolutely get somebody to design a modern crest a modern kit for some of these these old names and and defunct teams that just had incredible backstories so you talk about you know i mean it's got a real long history it's got a rich history but you talked about the different you know, the dark ages and the modern professional era that we're in now. Um, I'm curious if you have thoughts about like how you see the U S open cup fitting in, in the American soccer landscape and like, what is like the ideal place for it? Like, should it be as prestigious as, you know, open cup is right up there with MLS cup or, you know, uh, or, you know, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I, I actually think, well, one thing I will say is that with the FA Cup, the FA Cup used to be, like, the biggest thing. Like, uh, it was like, mark your calendars, the FA Cup final, like, everything about the FA Cup used to be just top of the charts in England. However, as time has gone on, other events have taken precedent, you know, the Champions League became what it was, like, it really has taken a step back. But it had its day. Like, for sure. Like, ask anybody, you know, of, of a certain age about their FA Cup memories. And, you know, like, the time that fifth division team scored a goal against Manchester United. They lost 8-1, to one, but they scored that goal. And it yeah. was the greatest thing. We'll <laughs> never forget it. And and admittedly, we have some of that in, in, in our tournament. But it's, um, I think that they have had, the FA Cup has had its day. Um, the Open Cup has been around for 107 years. And it's never had its day. It's never had a peak really. I mean, obviously the best years of it were in the twenties and thirties when, you know, professional soccer was right up there with the other professional sports and, you know, and had they not had the soccer wars that, you know, with owners fighting and leaving leagues and, and just ruining everything. I mean, soccer could have been in a, in an alternate timeline, like soccer is like, a big a major sport in this country for for a century but you know it that's what happened but we i think that 
it has potential to be it i mean it's never going to be like the event but i feel like it could be like it could be sort of like and i don't mean to the degree that march madness is for like college basketball and march madness that's crazy popular but i feel like it could be a thing at the very least among soccer fans and maybe even among like some casual sports fans where every year the bracket comes out and you fill out a bracket and like you may not know anything about the flint city bucks or you know or afc ann arbor or cleveland fc or any of these teams like but you know that they're amateur teams and like you hope they win. You're going to tune in. You're going to watch and like see if they can pull off an upset. I, I feel like people had the enough people would like it if they knew about it. And I, I feel like yes. it, it is an uphill climb to get there. But I feel like just even anecdotally with me, like every person I talk to, even if they're not soccer people, I tell them and I usually use baseball terminology because they, you know, that's just easier to understand. And so to, to use, you know, my home state, you know, like the Lansing Lugnuts are the single A baseball team. And I always, I tell people like, okay, imagine a tournament where the Lansing Lugnuts could play in a single elimination tournament where if they get it far enough, they could play the Yankees. And they're like, oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, like, that's awesome. Right. <laughs> okay. So let's take it a step further. And I'm like, okay, I got you. I, I got you hooked there. But like, let's take it a step further. What if, the team that plays at like this the rundown softball diamond and a beer league team like on a on a like just a local amateur league could be in that same tournament and then if they make it far enough they could play the yankees and like they're like that doesn't seem possible and like it's what we do every year that's how i mean obviously <laughs> i use the beer league thing as i mean the, the beer league teams in this tournament are very good teams. Like, let's not, let's not get it twisted, right, but, right. but they, but in a sense, I mean, there are some that really are like literal beer league teams and they just happen to be like former college players who like want to keep playing and things like that. But you know, they're, they're not complete scrubs, but they are definitely not professionals and they have real jobs and they live normal lives and, <laughs> <laughs> and they and some of them have beaten major league soccer teams so it's uh it it's what makes the tournament great and i think that people if they knew about it would would get on board with that yeah anecdotally you- i i took my office to the uh u.s open cup game against chicago fire in 2017 that fc cincinnati had and i kind of had to explain to everybody like the context of the of the situation but once they kind of understood like okay like bastian Schweinsteiger played for bayern munich which is a team that even if they're not soccer fans right they've heard of that they've heard of that team you know so they come they had a great time fc cincinnati won in like hugely dramatic fashion and now every summer you know people are coming to me they're like okay you're gonna organize another uh another soccer (laughs) game and so like every year since then um We've done a an office uh, soccer game usually in like July August, and I don't think I don't think that would have happened if you know it hadn't been for the Open Cup and there were like they were kind of like discounted tickets and you were we were able to get like a big chunk together in the stadium since it wasn't you know um, a season ticket game at the time we had to like buy it separately and you there know were I thirty two thousand people at that game roughly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Amazing. Um, and uh, uh, I just, you know, 
people love that March Mad- people love the March Madness upsets, and it's the only place you really get it on a regular basis in American soccer. Yeah, it's amazing that those uh, that uh, that FC Cincinnati run two of the four or two of the top four game or two of the top four attended games in the history of the tournament were FC Cincinnati games. And that, that Chicago fire game was a nightmare for me. I'd like, cause just, I'm not, <laughs> as I'm not a, a fan of any one team or anything. And so I I'm purely like rooting for storylines and I want to see like good games. And I just, you know, that, that's kind of, I take the sort of journalistic approach to that and I'm watching that game and it's scoreless the whole time and that's like the, it, i mean I'm, I'm sure you guys have had the same thing where like you know like uh there's like a hyped soccer game and then yes. it ends up being scored i mean i guess what like what the 94 world cup final would be it was like comes to mind like um yep. but but it was but it was a great scoreless game which is hard to describe yes. to somebody who is not a soccer person if they're if they're not a soccer person it's hard to say like yeah they played for 120 minutes and uh, nobody scored, but it was it was thrilling. <laughs> like yes, it's yes, it's a tough, it's a real tough sell. It's even a tough sell for soccer fans, and, right. and I, I I feel like even I mean let's not let's not kid ourselves. Like we don't like scoreless draws. Like no, but no, <laughs> it's a but that one just happened. It was on TV that people could watch, and it was the best scoreless draw you could have asked for. And then to have the, the, the penalty kick shoot out and everything. Uh, it, yeah, it was fantastic. No, it's, uh, we had uh, Mitch Hildebrandt on actually the episode before this. And um, no, we, we talk about that. It's still the peak of FC Cincinnati's sort of uh, short history here is that that moment, that game was, was as good as it got and uh, for, for the foreseeable future. And that's the Open Cup giving it to us until, you know, hopefully we uh, we win an MLS Cup or, or make a Champions League run or something. But the Open Cup is it. That's that's our bread and butter. Um, no, you, you touched on something. By the way, he's, yeah. a, oh, please. he's a Michigander too. How does it feel yes. that a, Mich- a Michigander like delivered you one of your great soccer moments down there in Ohio? It's weird. Well, I got to be clear here. Cincinnati is kind of in its own weird little island. We refer to it as the Republic of Cincinnati. Uh, there's plenty of resentment here for Columbus and Ohio at large. Um, you know, when the game is on, I'm always rooting for Michigan. I, I don't want to see the Buckeyes do well. So um, I, I have a, I have sort of a enemy of my enemy relationship with Michigan. Like, ah, you, you guys are all right. <laughs> I, I weekend in, uh, I'll, I'll do a weekend in Sagatuck. It's a very nice town. You know, I like the dunes up there. So there you go. Um, no, but you, you touched on something that I've been harping on for years, and I, I know I'm not the first one, and I, I know I'm not alone. Um, a fixed bracket. What what are your thoughts on a fixed bracket? It's, you know, publishing something printable. I feel like 128 teams padding the rest out with amateur teams feels possible. It's a nice even number. We can seed it pretty easily. What are your thoughts on this? I I don't think it's realistic to do it from the beginning. I think it would be Ooh, really hard okay. to do that because I, I I feel like the cost of travel for these amateur teams like these amateur teams like really don't have a budget like for right. many of them. I, I, some obviously do, but like um, 
you know, there are some of these teams where they're raising money. I think we had a couple couple of teams in the 2019 tournament that we we covered that had um, fundraisers to cover their travel for qualifying yeah. games. So there are teams that can barely make the qualifying trips, much less, you know, having. And so they, they made them regional so that you could avoid what we had recently, where we had Oakland go out to Greenville, you know, coast to yeah. coast. And a couple of, like, what was it, 10 years ago, we had like uh, the Yakima Reds from Washington State play the Harrisburg City Islanders in Pennsylvania. Like, um, yeah. they, they want to <laughs> avoid that. And I totally get it. However, I, I think that if you can actually get some some fun, like you got to get a sponsor. That's I feel like everybody's beaten that horse to death. Um, it, once they get some money, some significant money into the tournament um, and can pay for the travel, can cover the travel completely, I feel like that would help. Because I feel like yeah. they, they do cover, uh, to their credit, they have they, – they have increased the amount of money they give the teams for travel to, to cover travel. It's not everything, but that's a, it's a big chunk of it. And that's great. They, they didn't have that before. It's, it's been one of the biggest improvements, but I, I feel like once they get it to the point where they can cover more of the travel, I feel like, and now that they have started the tournament earlier for better or worse, that's a whole other debate. Um, hmm. Now they have the time to space the tournament out where it before in recent years it was like round one a week later round two a week later right, round right. three which was totally like insane to expect like you didn't know if you were a an amateur team in round one you didn't know if you were hosting you know then like the next right. game like you'd have to wait to find out if you were hosting and it's impossible to plan so and there are people who got to ask for time off of work which is right, such a weird right concept <laughs> like but it's a real <laughs> thing like that like they're i mean they're teams that have missed key players because like i couldn't get out of work what are you gonna what am i gonna do like lose my job over this so yeah. i i feel like they could do it i i really don't think they could do it in like the maybe after the second round or something that i feel like that would give yeah. some of the team the amateur team because the first round is usually amateur mostly amateur and then the second round is, you know, the amateur teams that survive, and then like the third division, sometimes second division pros. So, I maybe they could do it in the second round, but I feel like they could just regionalize it based on what they got and just hope for the best. And yeah. like you're gonna you're gonna have a team, you're gonna have a game where there's you know, an Oakland goes to Greenville or something like. I, but I feel like it's gonna not be that much if you do your best to, to I, I would love to see it because then I, I, I've always been saying like, if we could get a bracket contest going, if we get office right. pools going, I right. feel like it could really, <laughs> it could, it, I don't, my, my, my kids don't care at all about sports <laughs> at all. But when March madness comes around and we have a family bracket and right. like, they at least have like a reason to mildly care whether UCLA beats Kansas state or something like they'll pay attention for like five minutes more than they would have. And right, so, like, right. and that's, and that's for this group and they're a tough sell, but even for casual sports fans, I feel like they would, they would get on board if there was a bracket. Oh, way in, way in on that idea. Um, 
Oh, very very quickly. Uh, you you piqued my interest earlier. You mentioned a spreadsheet. You you wouldn't happen to have a, a list of other Cincinnati teams in the past that participated in the Open Cup because I've I've had in the back of my mind this question. I, I've never been sure where to look it up. Did Pete Rose's Cincinnati kids ever participate in the Open Cup? I think they might have been an indoor team, which would I, I assume rule them out. But I'm curious what what Cincinnati's history in the Open Cup looked like. Um, there's not a lot. Um, okay. although Chuck, um, Chuck Nolan Jr., who is, uh, the, my sidekick in this, he, uh, he's from Cleveland, by the way. So, I mean, so okay. he's, so we have some Ohio connections down there. Um, he dug up, I think it was when FC Cincinnati made their run. I think that's what inspired this yeah. know, rabbit hole. Really all what we do is just a giant rabbit hole of like, Oh, I wonder if there's been a team from Cincinnati. And then the next thing you know, you're like, you know, researching like Jewish teams in Los Angeles. And like, <laughs> I, I, like you just go down these rabbit holes. And he did that. Yeah. And I think the first Cincinnati team uh, was a, a team called Cincinnati Schwaben uh, in 1960. I think that was, wow. the, that was the first team that we're aware of. And they were kind of a one and done team. They lost to uh, a Detroit team. Uh, called St. Andrew Scotts. Uh, played oh, at Notre Dame those Field. Guys. I don't even know where Notre Dame <laughs> Field is in Detroit, but um, it's in the Detroit area somewhere. So I'm sure my Detroit okay. historian can dig that up. But um, but yeah, we actually have an article. If you search it on our website, uh, I think he he might have written it around the time that Cincinnati, okay. either that 2017 run or whatever. But um, it was like every it was like everything we could find about Cincinnati. And we uh, and we put it up there. So if you search on our website for it, you'll you'll find it. Oh, maybe we'll no, dig that it up and put it in the. Uh, maybe we'll yes. dig it up and put it in the notes of the episode. Oh, absolutely. Later. Oh, and that's a fantastic plug for the site for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so if you get if you get thirty more clicks than usual, it's it's uh, our <laughs> listeners. Oh, I know it. It, it is interesting when uh, I, I actually I'm I'm not a website guy, but I'm getting I'm I'm getting there, and and somebody just recently uh, tagged our site, which is something that I should have done a hundred years ago, but um, and now. I'm getting all this data of like all the stories that people visit. And it really is interesting that like someone will visit, like, I don't know, someone will mention something or Jason Davis will mention some obscure team on his show. And then all of a sudden, like this random story we wrote 10 years ago, like pops up to the top of the list. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) or, or, uh, or Chicharito uh, tweeting a link to our history page, which isn't done by the way, we we're still working on it. Uh, Um, I mean, it has like the list of champions. It's very basic, but like, um, but it was like of all the pages you had to like send to your nine million followers. It had to be the one we're not done with yet, because um, we just did a we just did a re, we just did a redesign. So, um, so we're still tinkering with it. So, um, anyway, he yeah he linked to it and crashed our site multiple times uh, last round, which was like good and bad, but I, I, as you can imagine. So, oh, that's. That's awesome. No, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I actually just by I just googled it real quick, and yeah, it's called Cincinnati's Forgotten U.S. Open Cup History, and he did write it like right, like during FC Cincinnati's run. So, so you'll be taken back to 2017 for for this I story. Would, so. 
you know, these past few years, I would have loved to have gone back to 2017 for FCC. So, yes, it's been a rough few years in MLS. <laughs> but we even talk about the Cincinnati Kings, too, which is, uh, oddly enough, uh, a fun fact is uh, I actually, I think I may have broadcast the first Cincinnati Kings game or one of their first games. I'm not entirely sure. It was at Xavier University, and I remember okay. they were they recruited me to, like, help set up a radio broadcast to, like so that the team could could stream their games you know it was before like streaming video was like so common but um and i remember thinking like i've always been told that cincinnati has like the second biggest this is like 10 years ago or 15 years ago um like cincinnati has the second biggest youth soccer participation rate in the country or something like that and i'm like man these cincinnati kings this is gonna be great this is gonna be a runaway hit and uh, yeah, not, not so much, uh, nope. <laughs> but obviously you got it right with FC Cincinnati. So it, that's working out pretty well for you. Yeah. So speaking of FC Cincinnati, we have our game with New England Revolution next Wednesday, obviously. Um, I'm wondering if there's any other games next week that you'd like to highlight or you think are worth watching that, uh, you know, folks around here might, might also be interested in. Well, I'll tell you, the fact that we can even watch them uh, should be noted. <laughs> like, um, yes. I, I don't think we should gloss over that. Is is like the, And when people ask me, like, some of the biggest improvements of the tournament over the years, and I would say, like, getting the games on ESPN Plus is huge. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like having to – it used to be, like, our site was, like, the, the, the only site you could go to to find all the obscure links to the weird, like yes. – terrible streams that some of these like lower division teams would have um some would be like radio broadcasts some would be in other languages but you know what we would do whatever we could but the fact that you can watch them is just so much easier like i don't have to explain that you have to jump through some hoops through a website and a blog and go onto a message board and then you'll find a link um it's just espn plus go there they're all there great um i i I am curious to, I don't know, there's so many. I, I, I'm interested in some of the, while you don't want to necessarily have lower division on lower division action, it, but it does guarantee that you're going to have, we're going to have at least, I think, what, two? There's two of those. No, three of those. Yeah. So you're going to have three lower division teams in the round of 16, which is pretty great. Um, wow. Just because of the way it worked out. Um, and I think like Phoenix Rising and Sacramento Republic already have uh, kind of a thing between them already. And then you got the two USL League One teams, Northern Colorado Hailstorm FC, who are trying to challenge the Young Men's Catholic Total Abstinence Society for <laughs> longest name. Um, and they're they're playing Union Omaha, and I, I think that's great. I, whoever wins that, that's going to be a fun story. Um, you know, Louisville City playing Detroit City. You know, Detroit yeah. City's doing great in the league, and Louisville City is the big power um, Louisville City beat them in penalty kicks a couple years ago in the tournament, so that's kind of a fun rematch. But oh, that's right. Um, but I mean, there's I mean, there's some pretty intriguing ones. I mean, there's there's a few MLS versus lower division team games that you just never know. Uh, Richmond Kickers are hosting Charlotte FC. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've really figured out Charlotte FC yet, but you know, Richmond's always tough, and they're playing at home, so that always helps. Um, the Rochester, New York, don't call us Rhinos FC. Um, <laughs> they are playing New York City FC. I, I think that could be intriguing. I, 
I mean, I think New York City obviously has the big advantage there, but um, but you know, it's it's fun to have the the not rhinos back in the tournament again. I think that's <laughs> that's always a fun story. But San Antonio FC, like, can they pull off another yeah. upset of a Texas team playing the uh, Houston Dynamo on the road? I, I think that one's intriguing. Oh, and I, I should also mention the Galaxy game is sold out. Uh, California United Strikers FC uh, from NISA, the last NISA team left, are hosting the Galaxy. And I am I think they sold out like a week ago. So they, wow. they, they're, they are, I, I don't know how, what the capacity is at Orange County Great Park in Irvine, California. But uh, sure, we could Google that, but. You got to keep an eye on those NISA teams. They, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it was the Cal Strikers. It might have been one of the other California teams uh, for a league game. Hours before kickoff, they switched to essentially an open field in a park because they didn't actually have their stadium rented. <laughs> that's uh, that's so that's so open up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We say that we say that with love around around these parts. Like we, th- there are just so many things that have happened that just boggle the mind. And and, and like a lot of it is like <laughs> lower division teams. They don't know any better. They you know they right, they, right. they don't know. I, I'll give them some some credit, but I mean some of them is just poor planning. Like you should know that you need to reserve a field. <laughs> like I don't. I I'm not. I I don't run a team. I don't know how it works, but I I know. The core is that you know there's a game, you should run a field. That that yeah. seems pretty basic. <laughs> no, no, that's oh, that's great. No, um, I don't don't want to take up any more of uh, of your time there. I know I know you've got a uh, a busy schedule there. I, I mean, again, being essentially the the only folks giving the Open Cup its due, its credit. Um, so no, I, I definitely wanted to say. Uh, Thank you for this. Thank you for this conversation. We'll definitely have to have you or your or your counterpart there uh, back on sometime to uh, to to dig into the Open Cup history there a little bit. But um, no, man, this was this was fantastic. Oh, I, I will send I will send Chuck. You got you. I will send Chuck to taunt you with his uh, his Cleveland his pro Cleveland agenda. I think he oh. will. He'll have plenty of things to say. Oh please! No, the Crunch were a powerhouse back in the day. Come on, I, I know how it goes. I'm sure. He, I'm sure he has stories. <laughs> no, but um, thank you again, man. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you, if you're listening to us, you're, you're a soccer fan, you're an FC Cincinnati fan. You've you've likely been there. But but again, the Cup.us is where you can find Josh and his colleagues' work. Um, and yeah, Josh, thanks so much for coming on, man. Anytime. Oh, baby. Part three of the postcast. And uh, somewhere along the way, we lost the chief. Um, I I think he was uh, abducted by uh, some uh, convention attendees is sort of the story that we're getting piece by piece. Uh, One of those ransom letters, I think, might be mailed to us uh, with all the magazine letters cut out there. Um, 
But man, we are recording this immediately following the second Toronto match. Uh, it is myself and Grayson on this. Uh, I will say the Zoom link was sent to the entire post-contributing chat, so maybe somebody pops in here. I don't know what will happen, uh, but we'll roll with it. Uh, Grayson, I mean, it was a hell of a win, hell of a match. How are we feeling? Uh, man, I'm feeling like... Uh like Brenner felt when he tried that rainbow. <laughs> Just, I'm on cloud nine. <laughs> I, I mean, look, after everything, you can't tell me it's a confidence issue. It's anything else. It's a skill issue. It's uh, whatever else, but it's not a confidence issue because holy shit, that moment. Oh, so good. That was just, <laughs> just almost peak Brenner there. Um, yeah, it tells me that he's that he's going to be fine. I really do think so. I really do think yeah. he's going to be fine. I mean, that was great. I, I will say he was he was truly robbed. I think uh, having not seen a replay or a I photo, watched it like six times just now. Kevin Kevin McCloskey uh, thought thought he was onside. Tommy G thought he was offside. But you know we have a opinion about Tommy G on this pod, so. <laughs> right? I, I thought if anything, they thought Brenner mistimed his run because he did that amazing sort of half circle run. The uh, the Luis Suarez was always like the master of that little like U turn run for a striker uh, that just defenders can't defend. Um, but no, he was well ahead of Barrial. I guess the I I don't know the offside rule to the point where if it's a forward pass and the player with the ball is in an offside position, is that offside? Maybe something like that? So, Barrial was behind Brenner on okay. Brenner's pass to Barrial. So that was fine. Barrial was behind the ball. I think the call the call had to have been offside on Brenner because that was the only one that was close looking yeah. back at it. The but only thing my was- seats are right there. <sighs> my seats are yeah. right where Brenner was. And I was watching it live and yeah. saw him onside. And then I, I, just, was, I, I just sat yeah. down and I watched it like over and over and over again just now, waiting for to see who was going to be on this thing. And yeah, the, the only thing onside. that got me, the only thing that got me was where they took the spot kick after the offside call. And it was much closer to Barriel's receiving the pass than than Brenner's right, spot. But That's I, I, the I didn't like where they took the spot kick. The spot kick was where nobody was. Yeah. Um, by the way, speaking of who all is going to be on here, let me admit the one, the only connecting to computer audio. We have the knifey lion radio himself, Jonah. Can you sorry. hear us? Sorry, I don't have my, <laughs> I don't have my webcam on. I apologize. We'll we'll, uh, we'll forgive you if only you tell us your take. Was Brenner slash Barial, but probably Brenner, was he onside? You know, I'm I defer to to McCloskey on the replay because his voice went to another <laughs> octave. So I'm that's usually when he's true. And Tommy G said. I don't know what Tommy G was trying to do. He's like, oh, I think he was off, Tommy. I was like, I mean, Kent, what the hell are names are? Uh, but I was like, uh, you know, let's defer to McCloskey. And if Tommy G says one, is if he zigs, I'm zagging. So, uh, 
Yeah, I'll say onside. Why not? Uh, but yeah, here's, the, here's nearly, the question. Yeah. <laughs> here's the question. Would you rather Brenner have that goal, which doesn't have any impact on the outcome of the game, or have him pull off that rainbow? <laughs> well, he did pull it yeah. off, technically. He just didn't. But right, he pulled the... it off. And that's that's something you oh, okay. I right. was, uh, say, yeah, something say, don't see every game. Say he fails that but scores. Would you make that trade? <laughs> <laughs> Knowing the outcome of the game, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Man, I, that was an incredible moment. I gotta say, maybe the best first six minutes of a match ever in MLS. Uh yeah, I, I know we've it. had We've had faster goals. Cruz is always like the master of scoring in 45 seconds or whatever. But, um, man, early goal. Oh, there he is. Webcam's working now. Early goal, immediate red card. Um, you travel all that way from Canada. You go through warm-ups. You've got the jersey. You, you've got to sort out your visa situation. And uh, you walk back to the locker room. You don't even get to take a shower. You haven't gotten sweaty yet. That uh, That's that's a rough way to start a game. I was going to say, I said the same thing to my brother. I said, I feel bad for, uh, I was like, God, you just make this trip <laughs> from uh, another country, which makes it sound more excessive. And then uh, immediately out of the game. And then they showed the replay. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are they arguing about? I think he gives them a red card if that's in the 50th minute. Yeah. But I think he gave them the benefit of the doubt because it's right at the beginning of the game. And then VAR didn't let him, uh, you know, didn't give him the yeah, chance. Yeah, but you have to but give that. I think any other time in the game, yeah, any other time in the game, I think he gives the red straight away without the VAR. But, uh, yeah, it was the right call. And I don't know how you could have. <laughs> they were all arguing. And then, like, you looked at the replay. And, like, I saw uh, Junior Moreno, like, I think it was to Bradley or someone. He was, like, just pointed at the, <laughs> the big screen. He's like, hello. Oh. <laughs> it's like, he can't get him. Jonah, again, while... While we have you, um, is FC Cincinnati good now? They're not bad. Isn't that good <laughs> enough for us? <laughs> I was like, I was like looking around at the end as we we're like kicking the ball around to yeah. like just like kill the rest of the clock, and I was like, what is <laughs> going on? And I had still the up until that point, I'm like, oh my god, if they get one, we're gonna be, oh my god, we're gonna rue all those chances that we didn't get, which was true, but it was like. Yeah, it's a very bizarre. F- is this our second home win of the year? Yeah, and uh, third if you count Open Cup. We're, we're doubling up. Fop Mob had us at like four and a half xg. Yeah, see, and Toronto had like point four nine. So I think it's a it's an ass whooping, right? <laughs> yes. Th- this is my only complaint about the game is that this was the opportunity to make up the deficit that the Austin game put us in, and they didn't, and that sucks. I. That goal differential is going to be key if the table is going to be this tight. Because while there is cross-conference play, there's not as much as a, a normal real season. I think they toned it down quite a bit. So I think the, the tables are going to be snug all year. And uh, oh, could have used, used a couple more. That would have been nice. Um, uh, Grayson, is, uh, is Khan getting his starting job back? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair. Fair enough. I'm going to ask this every single game. He, he saved <laughs> He saved that one uh, yeah. today. Not him. Uh, cilantro. Like, yep. like the straight up one. And we're like, oh, baby. And then I looked over. I was like, what if he doesn't save that? 
We're like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta save that, which is true of like half the goalie saves, like the great saves. Like if that goes in, they're like, why didn't he save that? So like, the, especially the ones that are straight above, it was a good save. But are, are you guys watching in the background the Champions League? Yeah, Champions I actually League? was no, just thinking that the uh, as some real bad goalkeeping. That yeah. was a good. save. Well, yes, save. <laughs> no, the yes, Stefan yes. Fry one that didn't matter. It was like after the whistle, but I was like, wow, now, now that's. That's actually a really that one good was save. great. Yeah, Celentano is like his biggest strength as far as not being being yeah. Vermeer. Like everything he does well is what Vermeer does poorly. But he hasn't really been tested for like his like Vermeer could do the really acrobatic, impressive saves, but then he'll spill that one in front of you. Right now he's not spilling anything and he hasn't had to do a lot of big saves and that's you know, that's good. Yeah, that's a good point. Though. Khan I mean, Khan definitely feel like he was tested like i feel like he's faced a lot more shots than celentano has but that does make me wonder if vermeer wouldn't be an amazing goalkeeper with facing as few shots as celentano has like if he's actually able to push up and play as a another defender and you know like really play to his strengths there not that i want to see it i just I wonder. I like to imagine. I don't know. Celentano is still he's no. catching he's catching the ball for one. That's, uh, yeah, that's for a two, good start. <laughs> he's coming out and handling the the crosses pretty well. Um, you know, Suck he's got pretty con. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Can had a really nice game against Atlanta, which is the last one he played. I mean, it's hard, I think, to yeah. take away his starting job due to injury if that's the most recent data point we have. Yeah. Um, I mean, on a similar note, does anybody want Cameron back? Like, I, I don't. It's, it's, he's I, doing I, fine. I would, he was he on I the would bench? start him Saturday. <laughs> I was thinking about this today because <laughs> Murphy's, Murphy's, Murphy and Haglund have started four games in a row, I think. Is it four games? Well, they've started every game since the Open Cup, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, three wins and in a so, row. Yeah. Just say it with confidence. Just say it was four. And so, ne- so, and we have we have another Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. Yeah, um, yeah. Going to Minnesota is kind of tough. I mean, I you gotta have to rotate somebody. It seems like a nice time to rotate the center backs. Maybe you do the uh, the old like Thierry Henry thing where uh, Cameron doesn't play on turf. And like whenever, whenever you're playing against a, a team on turf, you put the young guys out, and then uh, <laughs> it's it's Blackett and uh, and Murphy on grass, and then uh, Haglund and Cameron can be the old boys. But it's a homecoming for him. Remember, he's a New England guy. Oh, gonna, oh yeah. Oh, he'll be desperate you to have, play in that. Open you have to play Bruce him Arena. against Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> Very public falling out. Yeah, there you go. That's a good man. Again, good him against Bruce, coach. Uh, by uh, Kenny on the bench. That's some. I forgot about that. I wonder if they've chatted about. Are you? That sounds like something you guys would have brought up. Uh, I don't. I don't think we really Kenny have. Arena. But I've. I've and been wondering about that. About how. I mean, I assume that. I, I. I guess I just assume they're just being professional about it. But Cameron's right. gone on. Gone to several places and and spoken pretty. Frankly and negatively about Bruce Arena. And Bruce's and was, assistant. Yeah, he. Uh, it was that like Bruce is a bad coach, right? 
Like it was like it wasn't like a a personal thing. It was just like I think he's bad at his job. Well, it's not just that he he said he thinks like they didn't run a professional locker room in the national team. He thinks they favored certain guys who were not bringing the right attitude to it. Like Cameron's was been Noon- very critical. No. Was Noonan an assistant? Okay, okay. I knew he was a national team no. assistant for a time, so that would have been a concern. <laughs> he, he was not. He was not at that. He was not at that time. Okay, because that was Sarakin and I'm sure a couple of other guys, but Sarakin was the main number two there. Um, okay. Well, I mean, hell. Hey, SEC won. Hey, okay. look at us. Hey. <laughs> Will they ever lose? When do again? we start the Obies over? <laughs> when do we start the Obies overrated uh, segment? I, <laughs> that's, I was I was thinking I was like he made like what tackle by the sideline? We're like yes. Yeah. So I was like if Johnny Nelson did that, I'd be like that's right. You better make that tackle. <laughs> but like every tackle he makes, I'm like yes, DP tackle. And uh, I mean that's that's great. But I'm like he hasn't done any. I thought I thought he was pretty. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm happy he's out there. I thought though. he was pretty notable. He was fine. Like he seemed, yeah, he's pretty involved. I don't, yes, I, I will say he was. I will say for the first half hour or so, I was just sort of like taking in the game, and then I remembered like, oh shit, like we got the new guy on there, and I started focusing on him. I just like watched him as my way of watching the game. And he does a lot of things that, like, won't show up on a stat sheet and things like that. Like, his position's great. He's moving guys around. Um, when he does tackle, he wins the ball. Like, they, like we, we've talked about this before. He did that in the last game. He doesn't deflect the ball away. Um, he wins the ball when he tackles, which is great. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's a situation where, like, he needs to gel a bit more because he has an incredible – long pass and as soon as he has that rapport with the guys breaking down the wings i think that's going to be deadly i think that's that's going to be a move to watch yeah so he had seven ground duels one one aerial duel seven recoveries four interceptions one block and he was three out of six on those long balls so 50 percent accurate there was there was one time I don't remember when it was I thought he had a really nice pass to switch the field, um, and I always like when guys switch the field because I feel like we never did it before. And Jonah doesn't want us to spend. I mean, tonight it was it was. The- no, I was gonna say, Jonah <laughs> yeah, doesn't want us to spend now. three million dollars <laughs> on a nice <laughs> switching field pass. <laughs> no, I was gonna say I kept I forgot a few times tonight that we were up a man. <laughs> Not because how we were playing, but I was like, look at yeah. us. And like, Barial was like the Justin Hoyt of other seasons. Whereas, like, oh, he's wide open on the other wing. And then we would switch it. I was like, oh, baby. I was like, oh, right. They're fucking down a man this entire time. It's like, we better have a switch open. And uh, yeah. But I think everybody played a little bit weird after. Uh, I don't know if you guys talked about no. it already, but once we went up a man, yeah. it seemed like everything went out the window a little bit. And. Um, I th- yeah, I was pretty nervous after that, but luckily we already had our goal because I think if we didn't have our goal, they couldn't totally – they weren't, like, totally bunkered in after that. They had to try to get a goal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because we've done really bad in the past yeah. in those situations. <laughs> I just have uh, PTSD that it was going to go bad, and, you know, we almost – we missed that chance right after. It was like a carbon copy of yeah. the first goal. I was like, oh, it's happening again. We got the cross. Here comes the goal. We didn't get that. I was like, all right. God, Jesus. <laughs> I, uh, 
leaned over to my uh, seatmate Andrew uh, when uh, when that red card happened, and I said, uh, "You know, we actually have a negative goal differential in MLS playing up a man like that is insane." <laughs> so it's not not necessarily a you know guarantee of uh, success. Uh, you know what's funny? I was about to wrap us up because I, I our listeners are apparently allergic to two hour long podcasts, but I got to click this button. We're going to see what happens here. I don't know what we're about to get. Uh, he is connecting to audio. Uh, <laughs> I think he's holding up uh, today's newspaper. Um, Chief, are you alive? <laughs> alive. Can you hear me? Yes. Chief, are you safe? Are they taking good care of you? <laughs> I'm fine. I'm in Nashville. Uh, there's music playing. FC Cincinnati has won the match. Uh, Barriel is our Lord and Savior. <laughs> Everybody loves us all. I'm paying for drinks right now. Hold on. Um, Brenner, Brenner's a disappointment. He remains a disappointment. You uh, love Pat Noonan. You hate the fact that we can't like play on the man advantage. That kind of sucks. Yeah. Um, wow, these drinks are expensive. Um, <laughs> is Grayson there? Is Grayson around? Grayson is there. Hey. There. Oh shit! We got a, oh Jonah's here too. This is exciting. I uh, was your. I'm your replacement for. 15 yeah, I know he's replacing me. It's okay. So my takes on the match. I know that like you're probably gonna cut all this out in the podcast, but like, um, they need to get better at possessing the ball. Um, it's bullshit that we couldn't take advantage of the man advantage. That sucks. Um, we won though. First place forever. We're coming to that playoff spot. Fuck uh, the haters. Fuck the MLS writers. They all suck. Um, all right. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end on this thought. I'm going to end on this thought. If you're doubting Pat Noonan and Chris Albright, uh, go fuck yourself, all right? All right. Uh, peace out. God bless oh my gosh that was uh that'll shut up all the doubters of pat newton and chris albright that are all (laughs) on this podcast their names are jared nykamp and yapstam and uh (laughs) maybe ron yuns i was promised at least two more signings (laughs) yeah we'll see we'll see if we get any yeah i don't know jonah final thoughts i don't want i don't want this to go too too long but what do you got for me my final thought was they did star wars lookalikes at oh, halftime. No. Oh, no. Yep. You, yep. Remember that. And fine. Slow, very slowly, mind you. It's like Lando oh. Calrissian. I was like, this dude is simply a black guy. A black guy, guy wearing a polo. They, yeah. The first. <laughs> yeah, it was like the first black guy they saw. I was like, Lando, everybody. Lando oh. Calrissian. I was like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> I appreciated the, uh, what was it? Emperor Palpatine yep. as uh, Bob Bradley. But like, as soon as I saw Lando, I was like, don't know. <laughs> no. Tell me this guy's dressed as Lando. No, and even the guy was like, uh, me? <laughs> I was like, I, I am just, I'm just a guy. It's like they saw Kevin, and they're like, Luke Skywalker, everybody. Luke they Skywalker. Must have let the, uh, uh, they must have let the Coors Light fan of the match run the camera there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, oh, no. The, uh, 
And actually, I saw Johnny Nelson was like, oh, Lando is here. Lando's here. <laughs> Fanboyed out. Uh, no, I was uh, I was standing near uh, a, a group of people I did not know, just a couple of uh, dads. And when that Lando thing happened, uh, they're all white guys. They all just yell, oh, no. Like, like they knew. Like, oh, no. This, <laughs> okay. this is not good. <laughs> this guy better be dressed as Lando or uh, I'm getting the hell out of here. And he, and was, he not was not amused. amused. Uh, it would have been great if he was enjoying it, but he did not. <laughs> and then there's like an old guy with like white hair, like, hey, look at this guy. Isn't he ugly? <laughs> Basically, what they did. Like, he looks like a monster. At least Anyways, that one felt fun. That was kind of funny, right? Like- yes, <laughs> in the spirit of fun. That guy might be crying right now, but yes, it was in the, the spirit of fun. Oh, Grayson, final um, thought. I just oh, want to yeah. say thank no. you. No, no. I, no, oh my God. No, Grayson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. I'm going to leave you two guys alone to uh, end it i just want to say thank you to both for just letting me jump in here for a second it's a whole new world everything feels different i feel like i actually have to talk about soccer it's terrifying (laughs) thank you and uh grayson give him the greatest final thought ever i don't i don't want to hear it i don't want to spoil it i want to listen when the time is right with everybody else god bless america sorry lando (laughs) goodbye Bye, Chief, wherever you are. Hope you're not dead. (laughs) Oh, beautiful. Uh, Grayson, final thought for us. Michael Bradley's a bitch. Oh, man, he was awful this game. Oh, God. I'm amazed. He got an early yellow card, and I think he just was, like, baiting the ref for that second. And uh, the ref was never going to give it to him, but... That sucked. That's so annoying. I uh, I brought my mom to the match. She has never been to an FC Cincinnati game. She she had expressed some interest uh, not that long ago, and this this worked out well. And um, yeah, partway through the match, she leaned over and she's like, "That bald guy's really annoying." And I was like, "Let me tell you, <laughs> that's a good point." <laughs> oh man. Well, Grayson, I think that's gonna do it. I think that's gonna yeah. do it for uh, episode eleven. In the books. Yeah, people Um, complain we don't say bye, so bye, guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.